welcome to the Autism 360 podcast, The 360 Method, a podcast where we talk about everything Autism 360. Each week, we're going to be catching you up with what's going on in the program, chatting with different team members, and talking about all things mindset, as well as exploring relevant um, ideas that autism parents think about. I'm your host, Ella Bailey, and every week, I'm luckily enough to be joined by our mindset coach extraordinaire, Renee Tate. Hello, Renee. Hi. Um, And we are here to welcome you, our lovely listeners. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, Before we get started, I want to um, encourage you to reach out to us. We really um, want to hear from you, want to have your um, questions to uh, answer here on the podcast and hear your feedback. So please do drop us a line at hello at autism360.com. We would really love to hear from you. Some of our awesome listeners have already reached out ask us some questions, um, you know, give us some thought-provoking comments to be able to address on the podcast. And that um, makes things super um, relevant to everything that's going on with our community. So please do get in touch. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on whose land uh, we live and work and from where this podcast is being broadcast today and give uh, respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Um, In addition, this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. If you're worried about yourself or about your child, please do reach out to a medical or allied health professional. So today, what are we chatting about, Renee? So today we're talking about capacity and how to manage our capacity or how to help our children, not just ourselves, but our beautiful children and how to help them through that. So uh, Ella, I feel like this is one that you would have a lot of experience in and um, probably something that you do get asked about a lot. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think um, there can be a real disconnect between um, what is a parent's um, neurotypical understanding of capacity and what a child should be able to cope with and what our kiddos on the spectrum or neurodiverse children can understand. I'll just briefly define those terms that I'm going to be using um, to to explain what we're talking about today. So a neurotypical experience is is what um, we might term a normal experience or what you know, would used to have been called a normal experience. It's an experience that's kind of a typical way that somebody would engage with the world, you know, a mainstream uh, experience of the world. And any neurodiverse experience um, is any is any experience really that differs from that norm in some way. So it could be somebody who's experiencing... Um, well, autism, it's some, it could be somebody who has ADHD. It could be somebody who has a sensory processing disorder. It's just a catch-all term to refer to somebody whose experience of the world is in some way atypical. So um, that's how I'm going to be using it. So I guess there's a fundamental disconnect between a neurotypical's parent, neurotypical parent's expectation of what a child can cope with and what might be the actual day-to-day capacity of our children's Uh, of our neurodiverse children's um, expectations. So I think that that's a lot of what's underpinning some of the disconnect between um, parents and children and not understanding why our children can't cope with, for example, and this is something I hear a lot, you might hear this too, Renee, but at at their age, I could do that. Mm -hmm. Or at their age, I, I was whatever it might be, you know, at their age, I could x y and z and not understanding why their child can't have the same experience that they might 
have had. So there's a really popular um, and kind of well-versed, well-passed, um, past, um, uh, kind of metaphor or theory that we can use um, to explain what we mean when we say capacity, and that is called spoon theory. So you might have heard this um, used in kind of um, disability literature or disability research. And the idea is that every day um, we wake up, assuming you know, the quality of our rest has been good. We wake up with a full jar of spoons, you know, and some maybe some people um, naturally wake up with less spoons in their jar. Some people wake up with more. Um, and that those spoons um, are standing for that person's energy reserves for the day. And so energy looks like not just physical energy, but emotional and cognitive energy as well. And each spoon represents you know, the certain amount of energy that a task takes. So, for example, in the morning, I might be a really non-morning person. So I wake up with a full jar of spoons, but it takes me four spoons of expended energy just to kind of get out the door. But Renee, as I suspect may be the case, is a delightful, full of energy <laughs> presence in the morning, and it only takes her one spoon to bounce out of bed and embrace the day. Am I right in thinking that? <laughs> Yes, I, I think I'm guilty of that one. I knew it. Um, yes, I, 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 <laughs> but I always sort of think, well, you know, just say I am a morning person. I think that That's does help. That's true. So, yes, yes yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, maybe that would then reduce my spoon usage That's in the morning. Right. There you go. Mindset. <laughs> Mindset, yeah. exactly. So that's what it might look like to expend spoons. Um, and so we can extend this metaphor to understanding, okay, well, what um, is our child doing during the day that's taking up their spoons, that is expending all these little chunks of energy, and that means that at a certain time of the day, at a certain point in the day or whatever, somebody's placing a demand on them in some way that they're then not able to cope with. And that's when we see things like dysregulated behavior, um, you know, meltdowns and that sort of thing. So it really helps um, in this kind of situation um, to, to kind of take a three-step approach. But I want to check in. Renee, does spoon theory make sense? Does it, you feel like it applies? What are your thoughts? Absolutely. I think it's a really good way of looking at it and understanding that because when you start thinking about that, you think, yeah, you know, it's like, um, it, it, it makes sense that some people have run out at a certain time of the day, all of a sudden they can't mm -hmm. cope and we're not sure why or yeah. why were they able to cope with that yesterday, but not today. Yeah. And it's just, I think, a really good metaphor for understanding um, you know, what, what happens to us. And we all can relate to that on some level. We right. all hit that point where we've run out of spoons at some point yeah. and we need to replenish. So yes. it's, it's a really good explanation, Ella. Okay, yeah. great. I'm glad that it yeah. kind of makes sense across the board. Um, and I think there's um, a helpful sort of three-step way that I would suggest um, a parent kind of engages with the idea of their child's capacity and, you know, you can use the spoon theory to help you understand that and grapple with it. The first one is what does your child find easy or hard in their day? You know, um, as parents and especially as parents um, of kiddos who require extra support in some way, I think um, a lot of us have a good understanding of the th our child's strengths, our child's areas that 
um, need growth um, and, okay, what in their day is the hard parts, the easy parts, the bits they need support, or as described by spoon theory, the parts that need, you know, require extra spoons to get through, the parts that are replenishing their spoons, etc. So I would really say take a step back, look at your child's day, work out, okay, well, where are my spoony patches where they need extra support? Where are the parts where it's not taking up so many spoons? And work out, okay, well, um, of these activities, which are the most kind of spoon um, uh, energy expensive ones and which ones are less so? It's just a really good idea to get the lay of the land in terms of, okay, well, my kiddo, um, this is just an example, my kiddo really struggles with the fine motor um, required to do something like handwriting. And I know that on Tuesday mornings they do an hour and a half of handwriting. And so that means that on a Tuesday more of the spoons are going to be depleted by the time our kiddo gets to lunchtime than they would typically be, right? So we're thinking, okay, well, our spoon jar is far less full at this point in a day than it might be on you know, another day where that particularly energy expensive um, activity is not going on. So take a step back, get a sense of the lay of the land, the lay of how that your your child's capacity is being consumed throughout the day, and kind of get a baseline of where we're we're working from. And it's interesting once parents start to um, critically engage with this sort of thing, how it, they start to reflect upon their own energy consumption. In this way, mm. do you notice that parents learn from what they're doing in the program with their kids yeah. to apply yes. it to themselves? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I remember having those moments where I'd get home and go, I just need a cup of tea. Yeah. Sit down. Have, that was like my, you know, adding some spoons. Some spoons. Um, so I can, you know, I think all parents, we, we all can relate to these things. And I think it does definitely help make, you know, make it a bit clearer for how, what's going on for our children. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Some some um, some spoon replenishing yeah. cups of tea. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> love it. Yeah. And so... Um, once we've got a sense of the lay of the land, we can then figure out, okay, well, what is our ratio of demands to deposits during the day? So I'm bringing in a kind of um, that metaphor of, of taking away spoons, but then also depositing back in spoons. So for example, we know that, say for me, getting out of bed in the morning, that um, demands my spoons, it takes them away. But then Say during my commute, I listen to my favorite podcast. I get to sit, look out the window of the train, look at the trees, listen to my favorite podcast, spoon deposits, spoons back in the jar. Okay, great. So now we understand how that part of the morning has impacted my capacity to cope with the demands of the rest of the day. So where is your child at? What are your child's um, ratio of demands to deposits? And I'll give you a big clue on this one. If your child isn't coping with their day, their demands are outstripping their deposits. That's a really easy, you know, you're getting a call from school at lunchtime saying, they've got into a fight in the playground because they can't cope or they're getting home from school and they're this whirlwind of sort of hyperactive stressed energy and you just think what's going on here it's because they haven't had enough energy giving um, capacity building experiences or activities during their day compared to what's being demanded of them during the day 
And I think it's hard for parents sometimes to grapple with the fact um, or to grapple with understanding that ratio because there's this belief that children should should um, just know. They should just be able to cope with X because I was able to cope with X because that's what children cope with. And I would certainly say that, yes, of course, there are sociocultural expectations about, about what people are able to do at different developmental stages. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you expect of your child. If your child can't cope, your child can't cope. And you expecting them to do something different doesn't magically build up their capacity. What builds up their capacity and increases their ability to cope is doing these activities that replenish their spoons, that give them energy, that help them to feel like they have more to give. And I think we're all familiar with that. Renee's obviously a cup of tea kind of girl. <laughs> I'm a walk around the block with my dog and a podcast kind of girl. Um, and I think... Um, as parents, we get pretty good at knowing those things about our children, about what's going to help them to cope with getting through, I don't know, maths tutoring. They can get through maths tutoring if they have a little bit of zone out time with, I don't know, an apple in their iPad beforehand, but they can't get through maths tutoring if we try and get them to do their homework beforehand. And that's, you know, just an example. What do you feel is uh, is applicable yeah. in that, Renee? I, I think it also helps understand why why does my child behave all day at school and then gets home and has this massive meltdown. Yes. I think those things really help you go, wow, you know, they've literally run out of spoons at that point and they have worked so hard. Um, and, and then, you know, I got to that point in the afternoon where I just don't have anything left. So absolutely, I think it's looking at like, you know, what can I do to replenish that? Re like, just like we would with a phone being recharged, totally. I need to plug myself back into those things that help me feel good again. Um, so that I can be at my best. And, you know, not only our children need to be aware of those things, or we need to understand that for our children, but also for ourselves, because I think there's something in that for everyone to just be aware of those things. And I think if you, as you said, if you identify what those things are that help replenish your child, um, and be aware of that. Awareness is a big part of the solution for anything, but just being aware of what those things are, it's really going to make life a lot easier um, to go, you know, let them go and have that time to replenish and recharge. And then they're going to be so much more cooperative um, for the rest of the day or with whatever else is going on. So I think it's a really good um a really important one and the other thing I think is to be aware of is comparing not only to ourselves or what they should be able to do you know should is a bit of a dangerous word because whenever we should ourselves we're sort of making something wrong um, so yes you know our child could deal with those things better but I think the other part is comparing to other children and thinking well why do these children they can cope with this and my child can't and you know that comparison is something that I really it's just so dangerous. I think sometimes it's okay to sort of gauge where should my, you know, well, where will my child, you know, do I need to get them checked or is there something that they're not, you know, dealing with? But um, I think just be careful about the comparisons because it steals our joy. There's a really good quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And I think it's important to just understand our children um, help fill them up, but don't compare them too much to where other people are at because you know it's like 
you don't really know what that other child's going through or what they're like in other ways or what life has in store for them. So just, um, yeah, I think that's just something to, to be aware of as well around that. But I love that um, theory, Ella. I think it's a really, you know, helpful topic. And I think the other thing to be feeding our children is what they're doing well at. Yes. Like that positive reinforcement and encouragement, those sort of things to me I think really help like replenish their spoon stocks like rather than oh you're not doing that you're not doing that what about you know you're doing so well at this and um you've done a great job today managing that or just really build them up I think life can be hard enough for us um the world will knock us down in so many ways every day so I think as parents just so much positive reinforcement and encouragement um, I don't think that you can go overboard with that. I think those things really help replenish that that supply as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love a good um, gold star to give me a couple of spoons at the end of the day. I think everybody does. I think so. And once we get that, it's sometimes that's all we need to really keep to power going. on. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, we've got an awesome question here from um, Seijun in Emerald. So Sejun says, my child is so much more relaxed and happy during school holidays. It seems like he just wants to stay home all the time and we would never leave the house. It was up to him. What should I do? I hear this quite a bit, you know, and I think um, that, well, I guess there's a number of ways that I would start. Renee, did you want to um, add anything before I go on my rant, go on my TED talk? <laughs> Well, look, I think that I can relate to this. I my um, my children are a little bit the same. I have to I have to say, and um, sometimes I think, oh, there's that comparison. I wasn't allowed to just lay around when I was a child. Yeah. I had to be out doing things all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is a bit of a different world these days, and I think that um, you know, I I think it's maybe it is their time to have a bit of downtime to recharge their batteries, replenish their spoons, yeah. um, and maybe if we can look at it that way, it does um, help us to understand that. So it, it yeah, it certainly makes sense, doesn't it, to use the yeah. holidays to replenish and so we can get through the next term and all the pressures that come with that for children. Mm. Um, what about you, Ella? Yeah, so. The way that I like to think of, of holidays, especially when we think about school and learning as really our children's full-time job, is during the school term, weekends refill our jar really nicely. During school holidays, we're building a bigger jar. We're building a bigger jar by fully resting, by fully allowing our child to let go of everything that they've been carrying around in their little bodies um, all the tension, everything that um, they've been pushing themselves to engage with all term and just having a big old flop, you know. Um, and so I like to think of um, school holidays in those terms. I totally understand, Sojourn, that it can be frustrating. You want to or you need to be out and about. Life continues in school holidays as much as kids might be shocked by that. Um, and I think it can be frustrating. You know, we've got things we need to get done. Our kiddo is really resistant. We're just going to the supermarket. It's not a big deal. Totally understand. Life's got to get done. Um, and my thought is that um, in this sort of circumstance, um, really examine the why. Really examine, okay, well, what is, is pushing my kid to want to um, be uh, this kind of cocooned? What is what is pushing my kid to want to stay home and feel this need to really kind of hibernate? 
during the school holidays? Um, is there something going on that's kind of chronically depleting um, your child's spoons in a way that means that by the school holidays, he's so done, he's so spent that he doesn't even want to leave the house? I think um, there's a really interesting uh, and kind of something that's really fundamental to my practice um, book written uh, called The Explosive Child by Dr. John Green. And his um, kind of big catchphrase is, if they can, they will. And if if a child isn't doing something, it's because they can't. You know, it's because that there's something in them, there's something that's holding them back from being able to engage in a way that we, you know, we would want to, that makes them um, kind of live their life to their fullest. So I really want you to engage with that, chat with your kiddo about why this is happening, about how they're feeling, about um, what's going on at school. Are they feeling like, um, you know, they want to hide away from the world, engage with that. Don't try and um, push it away until you can really understand what's going on for him. And I would certainly say, especially in these post-COVID days, we've really gotten good at making home fun, you know. We've got everything can be delivered, everything can be brought to us, um, and we've we've made our homes these really reinforcing, really, um, really kind of... Uh, <laughs> everything at your fingertips kind of places. And and I think more so than lots of other population groups, our kids have really bought into that. You know, they sort of have all their needs met at home. Um, Why would we want to go out when there's, you know, X, Y, and Z at home? So think about um, the kind of reinforcement value of leaving the house versus staying in the house. So if you can set yourself up for success a little bit better in terms of placing demands um, and engage with him about the why behind that behaviour, see if you can see what's driving that would be my thoughts. Yeah, and I think, look, I mean, I had this situation with my 17-year-old last week and she is very similar. She 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 works and she's doing year 11 and she has tutoring and so the, it's very intense, the term, and then, you know, as soon as she can um, lie and relax, she that's what she seems to only want to do. Uh, I did say to her, I said, come on, let's go for a walk and did still encourage her to yeah. get out and do some things. And I think that's the key is like encouraging them without it becoming a battle, but don't give up on saying, come on, let's go and have a nice walk. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that we do those things, the more our, you know, our children start to realize that, oh, it is nice actually to yeah. get out and do something or do things here and there. So I wouldn't say, uh, I think it's important to still encourage them to get out and keep active. But I think, yeah, understanding that this, it's like when we've all had a holiday and a bit of downtime, we are fresh, we are recharged and we're so much more productive. So rather than seeing it as a negative, maybe it's just changing the way that you see that um, and hopefully that helps. Absolutely. And what I'm seeing there is you um, showing your daughter a new way of recharging her spoons, right? Mm. Like she's got this one way and you're showing her, look, we can do this and this is going to build you up as well. So I love that. So I think that's going to be it for this week. Did you have any takeaway action points for our parents today? Lovely, Renee. Uh, As always, just want you to have a think about what is the biggest thing you're taking from today's um, podcast and 
what is the the number one thing that you are going to action from that so uh, it's always important, you know, knowledge is wonderful, but without implementing it, uh, it's not um, obviously going to make the big difference for you and your family. So what can you implement from that today? Even if it's just one thing that you go, okay, um, I'm going to write down a list of what recharges my child or what replenishes them. Um, so we are proactive around that, whatever that is. I just want you to have a think about that, get it happening. And um, as I always say, you know, momentum builds momentum. Start making those small changes. And sometimes it's just those little those little 1% increases that make the big difference. By the end of the year, you look back and go, wow, you know, we've come a long way. So just um, make sure you're actioning something from today. Absolutely. So thank you again for joining us. We will chat with you again next week about another topic relevant to autism parenting. And until then, think 360.